Nick and Corey in the morning. Good morning. Welcome to episode 34 of the Nick and Corey in the morning podcast. Here with me, as always, is Corey. Yo. And then myself, Nick, who was called uh, both a 19 and a 27-year-old today. Uh, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I'm in the middle, so I guess I could I could go either way. Take the average. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, we're here to talk about Pulp Fiction. Uh, my first watch. Do you want to say anything, Corey? You got a look in your eye. You got a little no. twinkle. Do I? It could be just the lighting. It, um, that's exactly what it is. Well, you know, Pulp Fiction is definitely a movie that I've been dying to talk about. It's one of my favorites for a long time for many reasons. Um, but I was very surprised to hear that you have not seen it yet. So it was something that I was kind of nagging on or I would talk about a lot and it was in the hopes that we would watch it soon. So I'm glad that we finally got around to it. Yeah. So with Pulp Fiction, I had seen the scene, no spoilers here, but the scene in the apartment with Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta, mm-hmm. uh, I've probably seen that like 30 times and that was it. That's all I had ever seen from the movie. and. Me and Max had sat down uh, maybe three months ago now, if I'm being honest, and we watched two months ago now. I think, I don't know. when it, We did trivia at WOB for the first time, I think, is when we did this. Okay. We, we had watched the first hour of Pulp Fiction, but then we had to go. And uh, we just never resumed after that. So I, right. I when I watched you know when i watched it for the podcast i started from the beginning mm-hmm. and it was just i'm glad i started from the beginning again just to be able to watch that scene in the apartment once again yeah. uh you want to you want to debrief i this is one thing i kind of forgot that i had to do because yeah. it's kind of a hard movie to describe but um it's the story of several different characters and how they're kind of interconnected in different ways. And you don't figure anything out until I would say the very end. Um, Cause the story is told um, non-chronologically certain things make sense later on in the movie and in, in terms of like where scenes are placed relative to each other in like time. Um, you know, I, I don't know how I could phrase this other than saying like who characters are. So like we got John Travolta and Samuel Jackson. We talked about already. They're two hitmen for Ben Graham's character. We got Butch who is Bruce Willis, who is a boxer who like gets entangled with their thing. Um, dang. And then there's um, Uma Thurman's character who is Marcellus Wallace's wife. And Vincent, John Travolta, has to go on a date with her. And there's a whole side thing with that. There's just a bunch of different stories. They all culminate in this one big, no, I shouldn't say big, one overarching story, I guess. Yeah. It's funny. Something, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no. something that I had not read or forgot was at the beginning of this movie was the little text box that comes up when you watch the movie where it says what the definition of pulp means. So it says like pulp is like a mess or a jumble of ideas. And then one of them is like a publication, but something's like usually a first draft. That's what the the definition was. 
And I had always wondered like, what does Pulp Fiction mean? Like, what does that title mean? I always just watched the movie. I never even read, or I never put much thought into like why you would have that definition at the beginning. But like, it kind of makes sense when you think about what the movie actually is, where it's just like a bunch of different interconnected stories that are all written in an odd way, but they all come together at the end. Non-spoilers. Uh, knowing all the hype that this movie gets and the magnitude and all the pop culture references and just what this movie is, it doesn't disappoint. Like that, I was I was texting Corey while I was watching it. Mm-hmm. And I probably had seven, like, what the fuck? Or, Mm -hmm. wow, like, sort of reactions. It's just such a roller coaster. And you have no clue where it's really heading. And you're totally cool with that the entire time. Mm -hmm. And then when it does wrap up, it's you get the biggest, like, oh, you've you've ever experienced in your life. Mm -hmm. This is awesome, dude. Like, I, I... I had a blast watching this. This is, I, I'm not going to hint towards, towards my score right now, but like, this was such a good time, such an insane movie. Mm-hmm. Some of the best dialogue I had ever witnessed in my life. It's just so much. And going with that, um, that's one of my biggest things that I like about Tarantino and his directing style is that all of his movies have really nice dialogue where it's like in the time where nothing's happening, you just have two characters interacting and it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel weird. They're always talking about something interesting. You're always invested in, and somehow some way he relates it later on or like, you know, it is built upon. You're like, Oh, that was a cool callback. Um, and he, it has, this movie has stood in my mind as like one of the best or one of my favorites for a very long time. And it kind of, it stinks a little bit with how its reputation has kind of faded away where it's like people kind of attribute that as like the film bro movie. It's like, well, you like Pulp Fiction and you also like Wolf of Wall Street, so you must be a dickhead kind of thing. Um, but I think it's not, it's not like that. I don't think it's a pretentious movie, really. It is a good movie. And I think people should be willing to give it a shot and overlook what people may say about it. Yeah, I didn't realize that it kind of had that, like, you had told me it's a red flag if you ever tell a female you like Pulp Fiction. Yes. I didn't know that. Wolf of Wall Street, I get. Like, that's very, like, meathead, frat boy, brain dead. Yeah. Banging on the chest. There's a few movies where if you say, like, this is your favorite movie, it's just, like, immediate red flag. It's, like, it's Pulp Fiction, Wolf of Wall Street, um, American Psycho. Uh, <laughs> I can vouch Citizen, for that one. If you say Citizen Kane, it's like, wow, you're fucking pretentious. Yeah. Um, uh, I feel like have there's one that Citizen I'm moving I have. And like, I understand why it has the effect that it does because, you know, it's the forefather, forefather of like modern cinema. And I get like, I get it, you know, but it's just so fucking boring and like outdated. And I don't know. I, I think my enjoyment of the movie is like depreciated the longer I was watching it, even though the story was getting better, like more like interesting. And it was just because I kind of stopped caring a little bit about certain things that were happening, but different story. 
maybe one day I'll watch it. But I honestly, I'm not going to promise that. I, I promise you I will watch The Boys at some point. Uh-huh. I promise that I will watch Inglorious Bastards. I will watch, I don't know. Like, I, I always say, like, I'll get there with things. Mm-hmm. It always sounds like I don't mean it. I will play God of War and The Last of Us. I, I will. Mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to get to Citizen Kane. The thing that makes Citizen, like, I don't even think it's one of the best, like, Hitchcockian. Oh, wait, I think Hitchcock does Citizen Kane. I might be speaking on my ass, but, like, I don't think it's one of the best of those movies. I don't think it's one of the best black and white movies you could ever see. And, you know, I, I think you can make a difference between saying, like, the effect a movie has had on other movies and, like, its place in pop culture and your personal enjoyment. And I don't enjoy watching that movie very often, even though I can say, like, you know, great performances, it's a good movie, it tells an interesting story, or it tells a good story, I shouldn't say interesting. <laughs> um, but it's it's presented in a very cool way. I just wish they had done more with it. Um, if you don't know about Citizen Kane, it's, the story starts with your main character dying, and you're being told his life through other people's, like, perception of him. So you meet his friend, you meet his wife, you meet his mother, or I think, no, his father, you meet his, like, longtime friend, other things like that, and they all tell their own story about who he was as a person, and they all have wildly different opinions about him, and he changes as a character through those stories rather than, like, time. Yeah, I had no clue what it was about. I just knew it was black and white, and, like, it's Citizen Kane. It's very interesting. Um, the premise, I should say. Yeah. The whole idea is um, he dies and the last words out of his mouth is Rosebud. And like when a reporter gets the news that that was his last word, it's like, what does that mean? And no one knows what it means. So he goes interviewing all these people and he's asking like, who, first of all, who was he? And do you have any idea what this word means? And then eventually he gets to the bottom of it. But like, it's the journey of how we get there. Anyways. Yeah. Back Pulp to Pulp Fiction. fiction. Uh, sp- 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 spo- spo- spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Um, one of my favorite things about Pulp Fiction, and it's also one of my favorite things about The Big Lebowski, there are just so many things you can quote from this movie that are just hilarious. Like, I can't tell you the amount of times... I've quoted like just the whole interaction with him, with uh, Vincent and Jules, where it's just like, "What do they call a quarter pounder and cheese in Europe?" Well, they Royale don't got the metric- <laughs> They don't have. They don't got the metric system, so I don't even know what a fuck a quarter pounder is. Uh, they call it a Royale with cheese, and it's it's like this cool interaction that gets used later on. Um, there's the one of my personal favorite lines, and it's one that me and my dad quote a lot. Um, it's when Butch comes back after butchering the two hillbillies and he rides in on his on the bike and his wife or girlfriend, whatever, goes, where's the minivan? And he goes, oh, I'm sorry, babe. I had to crash the minivan. <laughs> I laughed at that. And then she goes, oh, OK. And he's like, whose bike is that? Zed's bike. Who's Zed? Zed's dead, baby. And he rides <laughs> off. And I'm like, that's a perfect send off. That was the I love that. It's a chopper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not a bike, honey. It's a chopper. Man, this uh 
I want to I want to I want to talk about Bruce Willis. Okay, let's go there. Bruce Willis in this movie talks to himself a good bit. Mm-hmm. Had a few one-liners like right before he killed some people, mm-hmm. right after. And I just got some serious John McClane vibes. Mm-hmm. I, I got a little chill, man. I, just hearing him talk to himself, I just felt like I was back in Die Hard. I, I, I don't think I ever want to hear Bruce Willis talk to somebody else that I only want to hear him talk to himself. Just because of what it does to me. He, he is an interesting mm-hmm. actor. He's a person who I felt has like fallen off as of late. And I, you well, know, all respects because he can't act anymore just because of his medical issues, whatnot. Um, but like this era of Bruce Willis, it's like you can't find a better like action, action star. I think it's just like that's your how you imagine an action hero being a really tough, grizzled guy. Um, there's a scene where we were talking or like you were texting me about when he was in the taxi. I think that's a really slept on scene because you see a lot of his motivations as a character in that one scene. And people don't really talk about it very often where he's just like, you know, I didn't mean to kill the guy talking about the guy he fought against. And he's just like, you know, it was me or him. And I chose me kind of thing. And, you know, I'm looking out for my own interests and it kind of shows like sets him up as a character later on in the series or in the, movie and i just it's a scene that i kind of like because again it's just two characters talk to each other and just having a powwow yeah and he there was one line i liked a lot too uh he had said i didn't know he was dead until you told me yep i think she was asking like what did it feel like to kill a man yeah yeah yeah. he's like like, well i didn't know because i didn't know he was dead Mm -hmm. um he's we talked about this with tom cruise and that he's kind of the the perfect image of a movie star Mm -hmm. i feel like that was probably bruce willis back in the day 100 percent. oh man i I think both of them are and i think they both still are they still hold that like larger than life persona they get you know let's put it this way if there's a poster for a movie coming out the first name on the poster is going to be tom cruise bruce willis you know like it's just those names um and I think he does a great job in this movie. It's kind of funny because this was seen as a revitalization of a lot of character, or a lot of actors, I should say, um, specifically John Travolta. Um, that he was coming hot off of like Grease, Summer, or uh, uh, Saturday Night Fever, and he was kind of only seen as like this kind of party dude, and he wanted to break that typecast, and he hadn't been cast in something for a very long time until this point, and he got this role, and people fucking loved it. You know, it's just like a complete reimagining of who he is. He was nominated for an Oscar. For this I, movie. I love so many of the characters in this movie. I like Butch. I like Vincent. I like Jules. I like Marcellus Wallace. I like the wolf. I love any sort mm-hmm. of character in the movie for the most part. There's not a single character that I dislike. Um, and I think he does an excellent job as Vincent. He, I liked him a lot. He wasn't my favorite and he wasn't my second favorite and he wasn't my third favorite. And I don't think that's anything against him. I think that's just how incredible this cast was. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really quickly, I want to run through all the Oscars it was nominated for, but did not win. Okay. Best picture. Mm -hmm. Best director. In Quentin Tarantino. 
right. best actor, John Travolta. So I guess he's the lead. Best, I would say he's the lead. Best supporting actor, Samuel L. Jackson. How interesting. Yeah. Best supporting actress, Uma Thurman. Mm-hmm. Sam should have won. I, the thing with Samuel Jackson and his character in the movie is it's another case of the side character completely taking over where it's like, I do think Vincent has more screen time. You know, anytime Jules is in frame, it's with Vincent and he's definitely like the definition of a uh, supporting actor. But God, like nothing beats the first scene of the movie or second scene, I should say, where he uh, just like, and you'll know my name is the Lord when I strike my hand upon thee. And then he blows him away. And it's like that whole that whole sequence with when at their apartment is just amazing. And like it really goes to show like um what you can do with a competent, well-written story, I think. Real quick, I want to mm-hmm. jump back to that. If you were to guess what movie beat it out, beat it out for best picture, what would you guess? 1995 uh, awards. For best picture? Yeah. 1995. Yeah. I'm not shocked. Uh, I have no idea. Forrest Gump. Also won best director. And best. And Tom Hanks actor. also won best actor. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Am I a little salty? A little bit. But it's fine. I fucking love Forrest Gump. Like it's one of my favorite movies ever. I like this more. I think Forrest, Gump is, Forrest Gump is slightly overrated. And, you know, maybe people say this about Pulp Fiction as well. But, like, it's great. Don't get me wrong. Like I enjoyed watching it, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Me personally. The running thing is goofy, but like, yeah, and there's just like a lot of things. I know like this is kind of like a side tangent, but like that movie couldn't be made now. And I don't no think Pulp Fiction could have been made now. Um, at least not unless it was edited. Yeah. Like, differently written. Um, but like, the whole premise is that Tom Hanks is pretending, and I know that's what acting is to pretend, but he's pretending to be someone with a mental disorder. And it's like, okay, at what point is this a little tone deaf? But hey. Yeah. You could say the same thing with uh, Rain Man as well, though. True. There's a lot of movies like that. And I'm not trying to give excuses or whatnot, but um, just interesting to think about. It's another one of my favorite movies. Not quite as high as uh pulp and mm-hmm. and and forrest gump but i love me rain man it's pretty cool yeah. dustin hoffman yeah. it was my favorite tom cruise movie until recently right mm-hmm. right um what do you think about um the way the movie was presented. Like we talked about it earlier about how it's presented non-chronologically where it's just like certain things happen and you get like, you get it later. What do you think about that? Because I remember the first time I'd watched it, I didn't really fully understand that certain things were connected because I had to watch it when I was kind of young. But after like knowing what had happened already and like I got older and I was like, oh, 
it's not presented chronologically. It's like that happened earlier, that happens later. What do you think about that? So the first season of The Witcher show on Netflix, go check it out. I highly recommend. I haven't watched season two, but I will. I will. I also does this. Did you say you won't? I won't just because there's so many other shows and I'm not a big TV person, really. Like That's fair. I'll, I'm kind of a little done on like the formula of we'll make a six episode season and each episode's an hour long. I'm just like, can you just go back to a normal 30 minute to 45? Like just something about that extra 15 minutes on an episode is enough for me to be like, all right, this is an investment. See, there are a lot of those shows that I want to watch, but I don't want to sit down and put the time in for it. So I, mo- I watch a lot of like sitcoms that I can just throw on in the background and mm-hmm. like look up from my computer or whatever I'm doing and like, you know, catch, catch, uh, catch Kramer burst through the door and I'll chuckle a little bit and then back right. to what I'm doing. Uh, that's I'm such a big community guy, the office, how I met your mother. Like they're easy to just throw on I in just... the background. Yeah. You don't mm-hmm. need to be paying 1000% attention. Of course, I've watched all those shows so many times over. So like I, I digest every inch of them. Morsel. <laughs> yeah. Like there, there are some episodes of Community I could just recite the entire episode to you. But that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was something really cool with Witcher. Um, you, you don't know that until towards the end. Mm-hmm. like I, I remember so i'd watched the show with my dad and once we figured it out it was like oh that's awesome right right and that's exactly how i felt watching this too which came clear once they had cut back to uh jules and john travolta's character yes. vincent, vincent vega mm-hmm. back into the apartment and then i was like oh okay this is we're now jumping back. Everything's not happening in order. Um, and I, I like that. I think it's a very, very creative thing you can do. And I think it works really well here. However, I do think this could go very poorly, if not executed properly. Like, I, oh, I love the idea of it where, like, not everything happens in order. It's such a unique way of telling a story. And especially how it did in Pulp Fiction too, where the first scene and the last scene are the same scenes. Yep. But I think you could easily, easily mess that up. But but Pulp Fiction didn't. They also did a really good job. uh, I had had watched something afterwards on it. A, A minor detail in Pulp Fiction. In the opening scene, before they stand up and start pointing the guns and like saying this is a robbery and whatnot, you see Vincent in the background walking to the bathroom. And I think bathroom. that's yeah. awesome. It adds continuity. Like exactly. you you realize that those scenes are very much so connected and you're kind of just seeing it from a different perspective. Before you were seeing it from the robber's perspective. Now you're seeing it from Vincent and Jules' perspective. And it's kind of like a funny juxtaposition. One of the one of my favorite parts is like when he's just like garçon and he's like asking for like more coffee and you hear it in the background while Jules and um, Vincent are talking at their own booth and you're just like wow they're about to rob the place like they're about to point their guns out and you know what's gonna happen but like you know the characters don't. Um, I love the way the movie's presented. It makes it very interesting. It something that's really cool is they focus on the mini story first. Like they focus on what's immediate. Like 
we get a Vincent and Mia story. We get a uh, Butch and um, like Vincent story, I guess. Um, you know, we get all these different stories from like the characters first, and then we see that everything is connected. Like we understand that Butch made a deal with uh, Ving Rhames, and it's like I'm gonna like take a dive in the fifth, is what he says, and then like he doesn't do that, and he's on the run, and that makes sense for like why Vincent is sent to go kill him. And then, like, it causes this, like, constant story to unfold, and you're constantly thinking, like, oh, this is a bigger thing. This is a bigger thing. And it's, it has such a nice ending, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, it's, I just really like how you get, everyone gets their own little story, their own little arc mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Such, a, such a nice way. Like, honestly, there are, there are, like, seven different main characters to this movie. Oh, yeah. And I think that's really cool. That's when I said, I guess, like, John Travolta is the main character, Vincent, Vincent Vega. Mm-hmm. Like, he probably gets the most screen time. Mm-hmm. But you could tell someone that, like, you could say that Butch is the main character. And it's like, all right, yeah, yeah like, that kind of makes sense. Or, like, you could say uh, Samuel L. Jackson's the main character. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, I can see it. Like, he has the biggest, like, character moment in the movie. He um, Samuel Jackson's character is so interesting to me because he is the most thought provoking. He's always the one asking the questions and it's everyone else trying to answer them or like trying. He's kind of like the thinking character. He's always constantly thinking about stuff. And it's cool to hear like, I mean, it it sets up that really funny thing with Marvin where it's just like, well, you got to have an opinion. And he just blows his brains out. And it's like, it's just a funny thing. And it's all stemming from how Samuel Jackson asked like, well, that, that had to have been divine intervention, like just wondering what life is about, like whether or not he should give up the, the hitman game. And he should have, because if Vincent had two, he would still be alive. Yeah. Which, why didn't, so the guy that greets them at the bar, I know mm-hmm. like you can't answer this for me and that's fine. Mm-hmm. There's not supposed to be an answer for this. The guy that greets them at the bar is then oh. with Vincent when they're at the uh, the boxing match or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then when they go to to Butch's apartment, mm-hmm. his partner's not with him. And like, for what? I think he might be in the car, like waiting. It could be like a getaway okay. kind of thing. Gotcha. They were just casing the place because it looked like it was empty. Right. And uh, I think it, it, they already knew that he had like probably skipped town at this point and they were just there for a second. Vincent Henry used the bathroom, so he's like, I'll be out there in a second. That's how I like to imagine it, why okay. he's by himself. Um, that scene, too, is very funny, just dying on the shitter, man. Last last shit he ever took. Dude, he heard the Pop-Tarts come out of the toaster, and he's just I like, wanted to bring that up. <laughs> Fuck, I'm hungry. Opens the door, gets blown away, and it's just like... it. It's funny, too, because you don't realize how many things get set up early on. Like... Vincent and Butch's characters, the first time they meet, like, in the movie and chronologically, Vincent is just dogging on him. He's pissed off that he has to go do this date with uh, Mia, and you're, like, he's, like, nervous about it, and then Butch stands next to him, and the whole time he's eyeballing him, Butch goes, what are you staring at? And then he calls him, he goes, I'm not staring at nothing, Paluco, which is, like, uh, um, it means, like, a like clumsy boxer it means incompetent boxer and he's like what'd you call me he's like you know what i called you punchy and he just like keeps like dogging on him and it sets up this kind of like almost revenge arc where he just gets to blow him away 
Yeah. Yeah, that little little banter added some weight to their relationship or rivalry, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, can we can we talk about uh, the Big Kahuna burgers and all that? That's that's another scene where she's like, "Burgers for breakfast, my favorite, nutritious." And then he's like, "What what type of burgers?" And he goes, "Cheeseburgers." No, I mean like Wendy's, McDonald's. Yep, McDonald's. <laughs> McDonald's. And then he goes, Jack in the Box. Kahuna. So funny enough, apparently Quentin Tarantino wanted to use Jack in the Box or like one of those major brands. But then he had heard that like you can't do that or there was like some sort of like legal stipulation about like you can talk about a brand. Like you can talk about McDonald's. You can talk about Wendy's. But to actually use their branding, it costs money. So yeah. he's like, I'll make up my own brand. So he made up Big Kahuna Burgers. And it's a funny thing because later on he uses that in other Tarantino movies where it's like in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there's a commercial for Big Kahuna Burgers. And it's just like, if you know, you know. And it's like a funny callback. For our big three, I almost suggested uh, top three Kahuna Burgers. And it was just going to be uh, <laughs> big, large, and I didn't have a third one quite yet. Mm-hmm. But I was just, there were just going to be different sizes and big was going to be number one. Yeah. But I figured there wasn't enough range with that. Right. Um, uh, another thing that I think is funny, like, uh, like maybe it's not caught on your first watch, but something that I've grown to find funny in that scene is like when Samuel Jackson goes like, you mind if I wash this down with some of your drink? And he's like, I'm parched. Some of your and delicious just, beverage, I think. Some of your, de- and then he goes, sure, go for it. It's a Sprite. And then he like, <sighs> until it's empty. He drinks the whole fucking thing. Oh, he drinks the rest funny. of it. And it's just so funny to me because it's like, it's so intimidating, but at the same time, like to an audience, it's just like, he just fucking drank the rest of his soda. He asked for a sip and he just drank the rest of it. There are so many parts of that that are so quotable and so Mm -hmm. easy to reference. The personal favorite is when Brett is trying to explain, like trying to basically weasel, weasel himself out of being killed. And then he just shoots his friend on the couch. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. Did I, I'm I break sorry. your concentration? And then I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. That's another good one. And then Brett also goes, he doesn't say anything. And he's just like, oh, you want to finish with your statement? Well, allow me to, to retort. retort. <laughs> what does Marcellus Wallace look like? What? what? Flips the table. When he just constantly keeps saying what to anything Samuel Jackson said, it got funnier and funnier and funnier every single time. It's and so this dude, he's being brutalized, basically. He's being traumatized by this guy, and you just can't not find it funny. It's so tense, even when you're watching it. Like, I still get, like, a little... But I'm still yeah. laughing at the same time. Do they speak, what were you from, boy? <laughs> what? Say what one more goddamn time. Say what, Say what one uh, more time. Yeah. I double dog dare you. I dare you, motherfucker. Oh, Say it one more time. Oh my god. I love it. Like that's that and, that's one of my favorite scenes in movies. Dude, it's so good. And then even later on, when they cut back to it in the movie, and then the dude is hiding in the bathroom, and he literally has a hand cannon, like he has a magnum. And it's funny because in the car ride. He talks about how they should get shotguns and it's kind of like a funny thing where it's like random. They talk about how like random people just have like any weapon or it's just like, no, it's, it's a uh, um, Tim Roth and his girl. He's just like people at gas stations, they have just magnums and they want to be heroes. And that's like one of the things that's why they 
rob the restaurant. And then later on, you see this guy with a hand cannon and magnum. And he's like waiting. He's, he's going to be a hero. He shoots him. Then he misses every shot. <laughs> Divine intervention moment. And then they blow him away. He kind of looked like Jerry Seinfeld. He t- very Jewish. Yeah, 100%. I wish you didn't say that. <laughs> I mean, he looked like him. Come on. Yeah, yeah, he did. Oh, sorry, I had to stretch. Oh, getting old. I turned 27 today. <laughs> 27, 30 minutes. Oh. Um, yeah, I think uh, a lot of the creative decisions are really cool, too. Like we already talked about the dialogue and how it's so like on point, but like even visual gags and stuff like that. Like one that I think is really funny is when Mia and John Travolta goes to um, Jack Rattle Slims or whatever the hell that place is called. And she's like, come on, man, don't be a, and then she draws a square in the sky, but you see like the dashed lines of her fingers as she's making it. It's like funny little gimmicky things, like things like that I think are really cool. I was, the next thing I wanted to bring up was that scene, actually, that entire sequence. Mm-hmm. I loved when they go to that diner or that burger. It's joint. awesome. I yeah. love it so much. That's like $6, $6 for a milkshake. <laughs> I love that type of restaurant. Like, I love that oh, vibe. Yeah. I love that, like, old school 50s. Yep. Yeah. 50s themed style. I Sit love in the it. car. Yeah. yeah. I just. I love- they go to the the um their server or their hostess and he's just like buddy holly you want to t- huh buddy holly but, yeah he goes you want a table or you want a car and then it's like the, instead of a booth that's they use cars or whatever yeah. and then uh i think i think it's mia who calls another server marilyn monroe and she goes he goes like no that's not marilyn monroe that's marilyn monroe and then he points to another server and it's, it's very funny how he's so in the know like he knows all these singers mm-hmm. he's, he's up to date <laughs> he comes back from the bat or no mia comes back from the bathroom and then he goes yeah buddy holly he isn't the best server is he and like there's a joke about that in my head i thought they were going to go back there at some point because i remember somebody saying to me pulp fiction is the movie about um dancing at a restaurant while eating burgers and drinking milkshakes so I thought, See, like, like, at the end so of the day, they go back to yeah. it. But yeah. But it's just, like, that's one part of it. I would say, besides the um, Jules and Vincent scene in the beginning, that's the most iconic scene of the movie, uh, is, like, them at that restaurant and then the dance sequence where they get first place or whatever. Yeah. It is uh, very well regarded. So something that's been very um, quoted. It was enough to get her nominated. She's in that one part of the movie and it got her a nomination. Well, she's also in like, you know, when they go back to the house and stuff and then she's OD and then they take her to her the drug dealer's house. Um, That story takes up a lot of time, but in the grand scheme of the whole movie, it's not a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good way to put it. Um, Can we talk? Go go, go for it. No, you go, you go, you go. Well, what what are we going to bring up? I wasn't going to bring up. I was just having my Tourette's outburst. Dude, speaking of that scene, I find it hilarious when Mia is ODing and then John Travolta's first idea, I'm going to take him to my drug dealer's house. 
<laughs> and he's calling him on the way and he's just like he's like don't bring her here don't bring her here don't bring her here and then he does and he crashes his malibu into the garage and he's just like and then they had a discussion earlier about how someone keyed his malibu and it's just like it's funny how he just wrecked his own car yeah, I feel like he didn't need to do that, but I also feel like he probably wasn't in the most calm state. I also know he's a movie character. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> Dude, I thought it was that that's there's so many moments in the movie where I just find it really funny. And that's one of them where he's just like, the bitch is dying on me, man. He's like, well, don't bring her here. <laughs> I don't want I don't have to deal with the feds. And he's like, wait, are you wrong number, wrong number? And then he hangs up um, the adrenaline shot scene of her just like eyes wide open. She has the needle sticking out of her still and she's like awake but not awake that was um, so tense that whole sequence from when she first keels over to when she yeah. finally gets stabbed with the adrenaline shot mm-hmm. had me nervous had me nervous and when when max and i had watched it a couple months ago we mm-hmm. watched up to the point where um she ods and falls and then that's it so like, you don't get I, to see the other half like that the rest of that scene yeah so for three months i just had to wonder does she die does she survive (laughs) yeah talk 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 about a uh a cliffhanger man right right i want to bring up possibly the most iconic part of this movie in such an obscure way Mm -hmm. the briefcase okay it's like the pulp fiction thing uh-huh. And like it's nothing. They never tell you. It's funny because it's just not important. Yeah. Like, and it's I think that's a great thing that he does writing and directing this movie is that like he also understands that not every single little thing has to be explained, elaborated. Because all you have to know is that Vincent and Jules wants this thing, and it's important enough to where one. Ving Rhames' character wants these guys dead because of what they did to try and screw him out of, like, the briefcase. And two, it's really important to him. Like, they need it back. And, like, so much so that, like, Jules would rather die than give it to uh, Tim Roth's character when at the diner. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's... It has that (laughs) that level of magnitude to it. The way that when, so first off, the combination is 666, which rock on. I noticed Um, that. But when Vincent opens it, you just see a flash of yellow light hit his face. And he's just like, he's like dazed. And he's like, oh, we got it. And you're just like left to wonder what, what could it be? And it's the mystery that never gets answered. Yeah. And it never will. And that's the awesome part. Mm -hmm. You're just left to wonder. Quentin Tarantino probably has no clue what like he probably never had an idea for it he's like and even he's if like, he oh, did, it's gonna be a briefcase it's gonna be a briefcase and someone's like all right, right what's in the briefcase it's like who gives a fuck even if he did he wouldn't tell us no fuck no, <laughs> no. absolutely not no way he's like he's like a better jj abrams where it's just like the mystery box but you're actually keeping it a mystery the whole time rather than telling people what it is yeah that's a reference i understand mm-hmm. do you do you actually lost so um jj abrams he is he's starting to become a director that i'm not a big fan of because he takes shortcuts in writing a lot 
And one of the things that he's given like a TED talk about is this idea of the movie box theory where it's like, or uh, yeah, a mystery box theory where it's like the whole story is based around a MacGuffin or like a mystery. And it's meant so that like the audience is trying to solve it along with the characters. But in so doing, that's the point of the movie. And if you solve what the mystery is, then you get nothing out of the movie. So it's constantly the idea of like, you keep adding to the mystery without it getting boring and just not giving people like a satisfactory, like unveiling of what the mystery is or like knowing what the answer is. And on paper, that sounds really cool. But in execution, he just does a lot of stupid things where it's like, you kind of don't care about the mystery. It's not as interesting and you don't really care if there is or isn't a reveal. It's like Schrodinger's box. It's like, you don't care if the cat's alive or dead. It's just, it's whatever. Okay. But um, I think, I think it works in this movie. You're constantly left to wonder what is it, but not getting a solid answer kind of makes you wonder what it is. Yeah. Big time. Uh, There's one other thing I want to bring up. One other scene I want to touch on. Mm -hmm. And it's not the scene that you're probably expecting me to bring up. Okay. But when they're in the car after they're leaving the apartment and they uh-huh. accidentally blow that dude's head off. Marvin. Yeah. I <laughs> laughed more than I should have. Oh, it's hysterical. I can say that with confidence. It's hysterical. Just, <laughs> just, oh shit, I shot Marvin. What do you mean you shot Marvin? I shot him in the face. Why did you shoot him in the face? <laughs> it's like, shit, I got like brain matter and stuff in my hair. It's like a whole thing. And it was, I was pissing myself at that, dude. It's so funny. Even the way he, Vincent turns around, you know what's going to be bad because he like, he turns around, gun resting like on his leg and he goes, well, you got to have an opinion. Speed bump blows his head off. <laughs> um, it's just so funny. Uh, the scene that follows right after is also funny, but then you're kind of like, I don't know if this is okay for me to laugh at. Um, so like in the scene, the Tarantino shows up as he's not playing himself. He's playing like a character in his movie and they're staying they're They're parked the car in the garage or whatever. At first, when I was younger, I thought it was hilarious when he's just like, do you see the sign out front? And then like that whole sequence of like him explaining it is funny. But now it's kind of like a. Yeah, I don't know if I can laugh at how many times he's saying this word. I was just shocked. I feel like um, I, I would have known that that was a thing, but I didn't. See, like, that's one of the other reasons why people kind of shit on, like, Tarantino's directorial style, because a lot of people are just like, oh, he's just trying to give himself a pass, basically. Like, I'm a director. I'm writing the movie. I wrote my white character to be saying the N-word multiple times. It's like, it doesn't look great on you. No. Um, well, like, I was still able to stream this movie, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think that, you know, it doesn't, even recently in Black Klansman, um, Adam Driver says the N-word and it's, but it's meant, yeah, it's in a bad context too. It's not even like he's using it derogatorily and not even just like saying a person, he's saying it as an insult to somebody. And it's like, Jesus. And his whole character, he's, he's playing like an undercover cop invading or like 
trying to gain the trust of uh, KKK members. So it makes sense why he's trying to like fit in, but it's still like, holy shit, he just hard R like at somebody. Um, but two things that I think is actually genuinely funny from that scene outside of like the race stuff is when the difference between how Vince and Jules wash their hands and like how that's like a joke, which is like, it's like, he just has blood all over like the <laughs> nice towels and shit right there. And it's just like, did you even attempt? Like, did you even try to wash your hands? Did you even <laughs> attempt? Jared Tabor special. Yeah. I mean, there's the difference between like how they left their, the towels or whatever. Um, the other one is when uh, Bing Rames tells Jules that he's going to call on the wolf. And he's just like, well, shit. <laughs> and then the wolf shows up. He's like, I'll be there in 30 minutes. And then he shows up like three minutes early. <laughs> so zooming in. I'm 30 minutes away. I'll be there in 10. Right. It's just so I love. Um, I don't remember the actor's name right now. Um, but the wolf character. So funny. That's something that I'll quote too, where it's just like calling in the wolf. And it's just like a. A joke thing which is like you're getting ready to like do something or like calling in the big guns it's a great scene i like it he could have been burt reynolds yeah so it's kind of something with tarantino is he has his usual suspects like people that he always brings in yeah and the movie that came up before this is called reservoir dogs and he plays that character i forget what his name is the actor he plays a character in reservoir dogs so it makes sense why he hadn't come back right um same thing with uh um tim roth he was a character in reservoir dogs he comes back um it's it's interesting i think it's uh i don't know i like all the characters even the dumb ones even the side characters they're all so funny to me so i have a question about one of the side characters actually that i i'm hoping you can maybe explain to me better Mm -hmm. the gimp yes what (laughs) was what was the purpose of the gimp just a random weird dude. Like, I don't know how else. It made it for a funny scene because he couldn't scream to get the other guy's attention while being destroyed by Butch. Um, but it, I think it was just mostly to, like, show how weird the hillberry, hillbilly characters are, like Zed, trying to explain or show that, like, they're weird guys and they're into weird shit. Um creative decision i don't know he's so mis like that character is so odd and it it has an immediate reaction to you so i think it was just to make you feel like uncomfy (laughs) yeah i did that Mm -hmm. just like what that whole scene that whole scene is like you think it's going one way and then it goes to the complete opposite direction like yeah i didn't think they were just gonna start raping him i remember watching that interaction with butch and um Bing Rames, where it's like they make eye contact and they just goes right through him. <laughs> and then like later on, at least that scene at the um uh the hell is that place called? Pawn shop. Pawn shop. They go to the pawn, like the Butch takes cover at a pawn shop because Bing Rames pulls out a gun and is trying to shoot him. And then it leads to them both being tied up. You think the pawn shop owner is like gonna call the cops and have them arrested? Nope. He calls his buddy Zed ties them both up in the basement and then they're they rape Ving Rames' character and it's just like holy shit this is dark um Marcellus Wallace don't like getting fucked by anyone other than 
Mrs. Mrs. Wallace. Wallace. Yeah. <laughs> this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the yes. ass. <laughs> that line's just gonna. That might. That might be rent. line of the year, man. Rent free. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a lot of things I like about that pawn shop scene. Not the rape part. That's bad. Good. I'm glad. The the scene when like Butch has like the turn of heart where he's like, I can't leave this guy down there. So he like looks in the pawn shop for a weapon and he just keeps pulling bigger weapons out. Like he, he looks on the walls. He, pi- he finds like a hammer or a crowbar or something like that. Then he finds a fucking uh, uh, chainsaw and then he's like, no, katana. He pulls off the wall, then slices and dices these fools up. Um, I love the monologue that Vin Rames gives at the end. He's just like, shit between me and you was good now. That's it. We're done. And then he's like, as for you, hillbilly boy, <laughs> you're going to have a very excruciating end of your life. <laughs> and I just, I love that whole interaction. I, like, just, it's so nice because you know that the, the conflict's over, like, at least with those two characters. I loved him in the early Mission Impossible movies, so it's cool to see him. Dude, I love Ving Rhames in general. I yeah. think he's awesome. He's a great actor. He's, he's the bomb. Uh, I think that's I think we covered a lot. Everything. Yeah. I think oh, that's everything. shit. There's one more thing. One more thing. Oh. When, when Tim Roth is, has the gun on Jules and he goes like, give me the briefcase. And he's like, no, I can't give you the briefcase. It's not mine to give. And he goes, however, you can take all the money it's like $500 out of my wallet. $1,500. $1,500. And then Tim Roth goes, well, which wallet's yours? And he goes, it's the one that says bad motherfucker in it. And it's just like, okay. And then sure enough, he grabs a wallet and it has like a leather embroidered <laughs> badass motherfucker in it. And then he pulls out all the money and then they just go their own way. They leave. He lets them leave with everyone else's money though. <laughs> yeah, it is funny. It is funny that they have a scene early. Not, not his to take back. Right, not his to take <laughs> back. Um, in the first scene, they go like, we can rob a restaurant. Who's going to be a hero? It's all like, you think a manager making minimum wage is going to try and stop us? And it's like, no. But then these two hitmen show up and sure enough, they're put at the kibosh on everything. That was something, man. Now I think we covered everything. Actually, no, yeah. Christopher Walken's character. Shit, the watch. Yeah, that took like, I knew it was keistered. Like, you yes. knew it had, you at know, some point, you know early like, this on, was keistered. Yeah, you know early on, like, where they're going with this. Like, when, they, when he still says it, it's yeah. like, just that whole sequence of him being, like, they're just trying to show the importance of the watch and, like, why Butch goes back to get it. Um, but he's just like, this is where this was your dad's watch. And then he gave it to me to save it. And then I had nowhere else to put it. So I put up my ass. And yeah. then <laughs> it's just like a it's it's the exact type of like Quentin Tarantino dialogue where it's like, one, it's meant to tell, like give like background on like why this is important, but it's also comedic enough to where it's like, I can laugh at this, but I also know what's important. And Chris it being told in Christopher Walken's voice too is hysterical. Added added benefit right there. Yep. For sure. For sure. Fay Shay. Fay Shay. All right. 
now we've covered everything. Yeah, yeah now we've covered everything. Corey, give us your number from 1 to 100. Let me narrow it down for you from 90 to 100. 90 to 100, because it's definitely up there. Yeah. I have a lot of rewatching it. I have a lot of nostalgic feelings, obviously. Um, it's I can definitely point out the criticism with it, but they're just not criticisms to me. And I think for that reason, I, I'm going to give it 100. Hell second yes! One, second 100 of the pod. It's just so, it's so well written. It's something that I've always thought about as being in the, in the competition in my mind of my favorite movies. And on top of that, I also just think it's a great movie. So because of that, I'm going to give it 100. You know what, Corey? You know what, man? Okay. We're okay. doubling down. Okay. We're doubling down. I I was also planning on giving this a 100. Perfect. Perfect, I, perfect, perfect. I don't see a single criticism with this movie. And I know you've been a, you've been aware of things with it for a lot longer than I have. So like there are things that you've heard of and you're like, okay, I get that this is something that people say, but like this isn't for me. I don't I this is too new to me for me to like have that. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't have to deal with that, which is nice. I can just look at it and be like, everything about that was perfect. Like from, from A to B, that was, Mm -hmm. it was awesome. I was so, so engrossed into it. It's two hours and 45 minutes long. And it felt like an hour and 10 minutes. Right. Which like that tells you something. Something funny. Go for it. Go for it. No, you, so, you many, so many, so many, so many incredible characters, iconic scenes, quotable lines. It's just, it was more than what I, what I had ever expected. This is, I, this is a top 10 movie for me easily. It's, it's really funny because for like, for a long time, you know, the, you know, that question where it's just like, if you're on a desert Island and you bring one movie with you, what movie would that be? Pulp fiction was a movie that, I could not get bored of. I couldn't get sick of it because I could just would watch it over and over again. Shawshank Redemption is like a movie that I love and I enjoy and I think is so great, but it's a movie that I would get sick of. And it's like, I, w- I would get tired of seeing the same dreary plot over and over again. But this is just so inventive. It's so fun. It's, it tells a great story. Um, and I would never get sick of it. An anecdote to prove my point is that... Um, so my dad introduced the movie to me at a pretty young age. And when I, yeah, when I grew up, it shows my personality, I think a little bit, but yeah. um, as I got older, I would talk about like how much I love the movie. We'd talk about like a lot of the scenes in it. And he told me, he's like, you know, I had to buy this movie like multiple times before. And I was like, what do you mean? It's like, he goes, well, I had it on DVD one time, but I left it in the DVD player. Like I wouldn't take it out because I would just keep watching it like on replay. And, uh, He's like, it got so bad that the disc heated up and it perma- permanently ruined the inside of the DVD. So it'd skip all over the place and it just, it just ruined his copy. So he got a new copy of it and he got like the collector's edition one, like the, that it got all the special features in it um, during that time, which was like early 2000s where it was still DVD, not Blu-ray, not 4K Ultra HD, whatever. But he would watch that movie so many times that he permanently ruined his first copy of it. That's love. Mm-hmm. That's that's love. My first game, my not my first, my Game Boy Advance SP I got for Christmas in two thousand four, I think. Uh, maybe two thousand three, actually. Damn. 
Anyway, I've laid it so much to the point where it just died on me. Like it Jeez. no longer it no longer operates. And yeah. I love it. It's like, you know, we we really had some good times together. It's like I I used you so much that you can't work anymore. Right. It's, that's gotta hold a special place. It has to. Look at that. Two one hundreds. That's gonna look nice on the spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. I was I was I was going to do a 99 until you said 100. And I was like, okay, I feel comfortable doing it now. Mm-hmm. Like I no regrets. Uh, so our, our, our big three, this is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, top three things you would put in a briefcase. Uh, I'm realizing something. I didn't read that good enough, but I, I think it still works. Oh, um, oh. I thought you meant top three things that you think are in the oh, briefcase no. in the movie. So I have like, it'll still work. It'll still work. We can still roll with this, but it'll be kind of different because it's not necessarily what I personally would put in a briefcase. But I think it's funnier in the context. You just have to know that like, I'm talking about like the movie briefcase, not like my personal briefcase. Okay. I apologize for the confusion. No worries. Uh, my number three would buy would be my my deck of Yu-Gi-Oh cards and let's just go with mm-hmm. like a dual disc in there as well just like uh my Blast. hero Seto Kaiba would carry around like all of his cards in his briefcase around Pegasus's island and he also had that other briefcase mm-hmm. that just had two dual discs in it he inspired me I wanted a briefcase when I was a kid because I wanted to be like Seto carry my blue eyes white dragon around in my briefcase <laughs> yeah Kaiba was that guy, you know. He, he was, was that guy. I his style was unmatched compared to everybody else. He just had the flyest fit. Um, so my number three, remember context. I'm thinking top three things that are, are in the briefcase of the movie. It's the uh, fertility idol from the first oh uh, Indiana Jones, the one that he steals from the uh, rock that causes the boulder to ca- to fall down. I love that. And my, I, I was just like. What's what's a valuable thing that could be in the briefcase that's gold? And uh, I went with that as my number three. Okay. Real quick, I want to jump back to Pulp Fiction. It's okay. just it's just referenced in so many movies and TV shows, and I think that needs to like that needs to be acknowledged. It's highly influential. Yeah. Like even like non non chronological storytelling. You didn't really see many people doing it that necessarily. So it's cool that it popularized it. And uh, I like how it revitalized a lot of actors. I like what it did for those people's careers. I'm glad I got a lot of nominations out of it, even if it did lose to Forrest Gump. Um, it's, I, I just think it's a good movie. Yeah. Anyway, my number two is one of those tan folders full of papers with nothing on them. Like, I just want people to think that it's full of paperwork. You know the tan folders I'm talking about. Oh, it doesn't yeah, have, like, actual slots. It's just, you know. Yeah. Bifold. Like, yeah, but just blank papers in there. Just yeah. looks like, you know, there's stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Actually, this is, a, there was a there was a substitute teacher at my high school. Uh, none of, like, we, we had subs. None of us mm-hmm. ever cared to learn any of their names. We just we just kind of made up our own names for them that were like known 
across the school. The mm-hmm. subs wouldn't even attempt to tell us their names because, like, I don't know if they just knew it didn't matter at that point. Or what. We had one that looked like Mr. Noodle from uh, Sesame Street, Elmo. So we called him Mr. Noodle. And uh, but the, the, the man being talked about now, uh, we called him briefcase guy. Uh, <laughs> That's fucking funny. <laughs> he would carry a briefcase and in briefcase it he guy. had like magazines and uh-huh. like hard candy. And that was it. Um, funny. Yeah, like nothing of significance, but he brought this. He was subbing just about every single day in our high school because somebody is always out. And he was like number right. one on the list. No one ever knew his name, but he would tell you about like the ice cream truck he owned. And when he was on like some like court show on TV because like he got mm-hmm. hit by a car or something. I don't know, man. He was such a weirdo, but he's he's iconic. From, from Sterling High School. Shout out to the 856. Gotcha. Yeah, so you're number two. All right, my number two are the the gold Sacagawea dollar coins. In my mind, I'm, I'm imagining that they're like, they're not like straight down, you know, like not face down. They're kind of tilted a little bit, like on an angle. And yeah. there's like rows and rows and rows of them in the briefcase to fill it out. I like that. That would be worth uh, their reaction like when they bucks. open it. Well, <laughs> no I'm kidding. That's I like that a lot, actually. It's just so funny because Sacagawea coins—they're a cool novelty. You just could never use them in any sort of facet to pay for anything. No, absolutely not. Imagine going up to like a not a bank imagine going up to like a restaurant and your tab comes and you just put like six of those on top of it and it's just like keep the change does that that cover it (laughs) is that enough (laughs) sir i don't even know what this is that'll do (laughs) all right what's your number one my number one is another briefcase um you Boy. know, you know, like the little gag gift people do for Christmas, where it's a box inside of a box inside of a inside box, of a box yep. inside of a box inside of a box. Mm-hmm. Imagine if you do that with briefcases. That would <laughs> like be nesting dolls. so fucking funny. Like you know, it's a different walk... combination, different combination for each one. Yeah, pop it open. Oh, cool! Another briefcase. Oh, cool! <laughs> Just another briefcase. I yeah. this this came to me sitting at my desk while I wasn't working today. And I mm-hmm. just started laughing. I'd, someone turned around and looked at me, and I didn't give a fuck. I was just mm-hmm. laughing at the idea of briefcases inside of the briefcase. Mm-hmm. Because the idea of a briefcase is just, like, insane. I would, a, I would fuck with one. I would, fuck I would with not one take heavy. it seriously. That's the problem. I'd I would have, I wouldn't have, like, what you imagine as a briefcase. Because, like, they're not that, like... They don't offer a lot of utility. It's like, no. what would you put in there? Like, what would you put in there? Just like papers? Like, there's, there's not like, you know, like my imagination of like what I would want from a briefcase briefcase is like one of those travel bags where it's like okay. you have a one saddle kind of thing like going across your body and it's like leather. It's nice. And it opens up to it's like you got zippers and shit and it's got all these pockets. That's Indiana Jones's pouch. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's what I would want. Um it's funny that you brought up like the idea of like putting a box inside of a box because 
I don't know what show this might have been like Family Guy, American Dad, whatever, but they had like a cutaway gag where they were make they're parodying um Die Hard actually. And it's uh one of the the I forget it's the one with the blonde hair. The the cork with the blonde hair is uh opening up gifts because like it's a Christmas party, office party. He's opening up one of the gifts and it's just a huge box and he opens it up and there's like filled with uh packing peanuts and he goes to the very bottom and it's just like ha 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 golf balls and it's like it's a tiny like little box like of three golf balls and he goes who did this and then the guy goes like a guy's laughing and he's like i did and then he just gets blown away right there and then there <laughs> it's just it's like it's it's that gag gift but everyone knows the like it's not original anymore it's not funny anymore so it's like but it's a classic it's a classic um my number one Stick with me here. Marcellus's Wallace's soul is in the briefcase. That's an actual theory that fans have that that's what's in the briefcase for two reasons. So one, the combination being 666, demonic, the idea of selling your soul, a lot of that mentality. It's like, well, that could have been like a the business kind of thing, like a business transaction. And Marcellus Wallace obviously wants it back. It's very important to him. And he wants it back. The other scene that leads fans to believe that might be like something is uh, in the scene where Butch is talking to Marcellus Wallace. He has a Band-Aid on the back of his neck and they don't explain it. It's not like it has to be explained, but it's a cool like little thing. It's like, well, how did, it, how did that happen? And it, it's, it's led fans to believe that, you know, it costs something. It hurt to get his soul taken out of his body and so he left a wound behind it's the only wound we see besides when he gets run over by a car and then like hurt that way raped. right um <laughs> by so a it car, beat it's up, also it's also kind raped. of funny that he's being tortured by these two guys i would call it torturing yeah being no i i that up. face was you saying it's funny it's not funny. I'm just saying it's coincidental. I'm okay. just saying, like, to add yeah. to the point about okay. it's, it's his soul. This bad thing happened because he didn't have it, or I guess at this point he had it, whatever. Um, but I just, I, I have loved that idea that it was his soul for a very long time, and I think it's very funny. Um, it, it can't be, obviously, because that's a metaphysical thing that doesn't exist. But it was a cool, like, theory that fans have made yeah that's interesting and that goes to show too with like me just not being that exposed to uh, pulp fiction culture Mm -hmm. because i i i didn't know that i didn't know that was a thing so that's interesting yeah it was funny i was having a i i don't it was like a guy who used to ride my bus and we were talking about the movie and uh i don't even remember his name now but uh we were talking about the movie and he was the guy who introduced the idea of that being like, I was really like, his what? <laughs> like I had never even, that thought never even occurred to me that that could be something. And then you read more about it and you like think about it. And it's just like, oh, well, I guess that kind of makes sense. Yeah, to a degree. To a degree in the way that it's like a metaphysical thing that we've never seen before. So how could you like think about it like that? Yeah. I thought you were going to bring the Ark of the Covenant into that somehow. Oh, I mean, 
would have been funny if I did. I saw a theory that said that um, Nick Fury is actually just Jules. Oh, I love that idea. And that's why uh, on his gravestone, Ezekiel, is it 13? 23, 23, 13. 13, yeah. Uh, yep. Is on his, his gravestone. Yep. Yep. And I actually like, so I, this popped up on my YouTube and I was like, all right, I'm going to click and I'm going to watch it. And it was like the biggest fucking joke of a YouTube video I'd ever watched. And I was like, well, uh-huh. I'm turning this off because I can't respect what you're doing here. He was yeah. like, yeah, I like I, you know, I, I looked into uh, anybody with the name Nicholas Joseph Fury from this town from this time and I couldn't find anyone, but I could find somebody with this name. And, you know, his name was was Jules. And he looked like this as a kid. And he kind of looks like Nick Fury. I was like, you're doing a weird fucking bit here that I'm not here for. But I'm yes. all for this theory. I, uh, It's kind of another thing, too. This was like, there's a thing that um, Samuel Jackson just says motherfucker in every yes. movie that he's been in. And he at least drops at least one per franchise or per, per movie, whatever. Even Marvel. Yeah. And I think in this, I, this might have been the uh, the forefront. This might have been like the the beginning of it all because I don't know what movie that predates this that he's been in. Maybe there he is, and I just haven't seen it or I don't know about it. Jurassic but, Park. I mean, not the main character, but he was in it. Right. Um, it's just so funny how like those like his his like little rant, his his uh, Bible Psalm that he says. It's so like iconic in the way that like people will like like ezekiel twenty three thirteen or whatever i don't actually remember the number that was off the top of my head um but i just think Isn't it's funny 2319 the thing from monsters inc 2319 we got 2319 i watched that again the other day oh um the movie not that scene right uh it's been a while since i've seen some monsters inc um, I watched incredibles last night Oh wow! Just going down the Disney rabbit hole. Yeah, Pixar bender. Um, but it's funny. He he has those those things. He was always uh, will quote or, you know, I like the little like that being a subtle thing where it's just like on his tombstone. It has like the Ezekiel thing in it. It's just very funny. Yeah. Uh, that's it. I think Noi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all. That's, I, that's all I gotta say. Mihoi minyoi. Um, do you have any honorable mentions i don't know we talked about the ark ark of the covenant probably would be <laughs> that could be in there that could be i mean hey <laughs> i wouldn't put it past anything weirder things have happened weirder things um, happened in this movie yeah um if a soul can fit in there you know then an ark can the ark probably yeah. could maybe um, noah's ark is in there actually did you think about that the staff of raw which is like taken apart like all the pieces the Millennium Puzzle? The Millennium Puzzle? The Millennium Eye? The Millennium Ring? All the Millennium items could be in there. Right. Um, the the Mind Stone? That's true. Um, uh, uh, a line, line. A lightsaber. Um, the Thunderbolt from the new Thor movie? Oh. Uh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. <laughs> man uh, a yellow lantern ring 
Green Lantern, Yellow Lantern. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got you. That made too much sense, though. Instilling fear into other people? Um, it could have, it could have, uh... oh, the little canister for thing from Jurassic Park. The Barbasol can. Yeah. I thought you were going to say the, uh, the cans from Monster Inc. with like the yellow cans. I did not the, think the, of that, but the fear or not the fear, the uh, scream canisters. The carpet from the Big Lebowski. They really tied their own together. <laughs> <laughs> That's the show. All uh, right, folks. Um, Marmaduke on Monday. Have Yippee. you watched it yet? No, but I will. Yeah, don't. <laughs> I will. Uh, no, you you should. You'll you gotta. You'll you'll love it um, for thirty minutes, and then you'll be like, "Wait, this movie has an hour left." So, Still going. Yeah, that's. So remember when I was like, "Oh, this was so like I was enjoying it." Mm-hmm. Doesn't last. Never I can does. Imagine. Never I can does. Imagine. Uh, Marmaduke on Monday, and then mm-hmm. Moonlight with alex oh, boy. On, on a week from today i'm excited for it uh i've never seen it alex has never seen it it's very good i like it a lot uh yeah i'm at least i i think it's i like it i like it i like the, it i'm the academy agreed with me but after they realized that they fucked up a little bit they, they did agree with you uh we're gonna do the other one eventually as well uh, I mm-hmm. think in September, it looks like, is when I put it down. But, I mean, who knows? Uh, being La La Land, of course, the controversy there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, tune into Marmaduke. Go follow Corey on TikTok. Go follow us on Tumblr. OnlyFans. Yeah, Twitter. I thought about making a Twitter at work today because I don't work at work anymore because I have eight days left. Fair and enough. just start firing off just tweets about movies at work. Goof around. Yeah. Fuck around and find out. Yeah. Fuck around and find out. Maybe if you look us up by the time this comes out, you'll find us on Twitter. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. You don't know me. Um, you don't know me. You don't, you don't know me. So, yeah, that's the show. Um, thanks for listening. And until next time. Oh. Uh, uh, See you, man.